Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The American people know fundamentally that Joe Biden is a good and decent man uh, who's dedicated his life to public service uh, and will continue to serve the people honorably uh, and admirably. Good luck with that one, Hakeem. No one is going to buy that one again. You pulled a fast one on the public before. Now we know Joe Biden was not honorable as a public servant. I think he had very little interest in public service. No honorable person uses an alias at work in a federal job. Is it Robert L. Peters, Robin Ware, J.R.B. Ware? It's crazy. 5,400 emails sent or received, we believe, with Joe Biden under fake names and a lot of them CCing Hunter Biden for no other reason other than, well... Corrupt activities? I mean, how do you explain that? Um, no, this was not a good public servant. As I'll show you in a moment, public service was his last priority. In fact, this, I think, was his priority. He said it, even as a kid. What was on his mind? Even as a kid in high school, I've been seduced by real estate. Seduced, his own autobiography. That's, um, that's quite a word, seduced. Maybe he should have gone and gone into real estate like Donald Trump and made no bones about it. No, instead, he went into public service and always complained about how little money he had. But we could all see how much he actually had, how much stuff he had. Maya Angelou, a poet that the Democrats love, she said this once. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Well, when Joe Biden first showed up on the national scene as a newly elected United States senator, I think he told us what he was. The fortunate thing is I didn't have many larger contributors. And the only reason, see, I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself in the, man, the manner in which I talk about it. A prostitute will do anything for money. Uh, that about fits, especially after... I read this book that the liberals love. It's called What It Takes, The Fake News for Them by Richard Ben Kramer. This thing is their Bible. It's about the 1988 campaign. And Joe Biden was running in 1988, and he's a big star in this book. But believe me, they think this book is the Bible. If you go back to 1988, there was a great classic portrait written of him by Richard Ben Kramer in the book, What It Takes. The late Richard Ben Kramer in his book, What It Takes. It's a book that led me to tears so many times. The best book ever written about modern politics was What It Takes by Richard Ben Kramer. Today we're remembering Richard Ben Kramer. He wrote what's hailed as one of the greatest political books ever, What It Takes, The Way to the White House. All right. 
Um, they're all kind of a little bit overrated, okay? I've actually read the book myself. It's a 1,000 pages. Uh, you might say it's overwritten. I think that's safe to say. Uh, but, yeah, the praise for this book, and no one has pointed out any factual errors that I know of. They call it the ultimate insider's book on presidential politics, an unparalleled source book on the 1988 candidates. And who was running in 1988? Yes, Joe Biden. And there is a lot in here about Joe. Now, when the fake news looks at this book and they report on Joe, yeah, so Richard Ben Kramer wrote about Joe's determination and his sense of destiny, they never get to this part, which I think shows Joe's, um, I think the word is venality, right? His susceptibility to bribery. I mean, let's go through it, shall we? Joe, you may know by now, bought an incredibly big mansion in the mid-1970s. Uh, and it's in the book, chapter 17. The first thing you've got to know about Joe is the house. Probably the first thing he'd show you anyway. You talk with Biden about anything, somehow it gets back to home. And the house is gorgeous. An old DuPont mansion in the DuPont neighborhood called Greenville, outside of Wilmington. It's the kind of place a thousand Italian guys died building. Hand-carved doorways, a curving hand-carved grand staircase that Clark Gable could have carried a girl down, a library fit for a Carnegie or Bernard Baruch, someone like that, and a ballroom, can't forget the ballroom, and a living room about half an acre and a bathroom upstairs the size of a gym and rows outside with beautiful brickwork over the windows, black shutters, white porches, a fountain, a pool. The place is drop dead stately. Wow. Um, this is where I think the, the venal nature, venal, you familiar with the word venal? You don't hear it every day. But if you look it up, it actually says that, yeah, somebody who is susceptible to a bribe, showing or motivated by susceptibility to bribery. And Joe, of course, always bragged about being the poor guy. Remember? I had the dubious distinction of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. It's quite a thing to shout about. For 36 years, he was saying it. It's kind of like an advertisement. I need money. Is he open to taking money? Well, he needed the money. Back to the book. That house we were just talking about, a $200,000 deal for the house. That was more than he had, of course. But Biden never let money stand in the way of a deal. He got in the developer's face and started talking fast. Joe can literally talk fast. Um, he goes at a gallop. The beautiful thing is the way he talks deal. By the time Joe's finished talking, it wouldn't matter if he didn't have $1,000 cash. In fact, no one would see any cash for years. When Joe Biden gets going on a deal, he'll talk that deal into it shimmering before your eyes in God's holy light, like the Taj Mahal. Where do I sign? Now, I just wonder if Joe's uh, deal-making had a little bit to do that he was a sitting United States senator. Was it that Joe was so good? So, no, it was the power of his office that got him all these opportunities, all this money, perhaps. Have you ever noticed that Joe Biden doesn't fit in in Iowa? <laughs> uh, they don't like him much there. I think he came in third place. Uh, Pete Buttigieg beat him in Iowa because he doesn't understand anything about grass and hay and even mowing a lawn. Back to the book. Uh, he killed one riding mower a year. 
He'd let the grass get three feet high until he was going to have someone over or a function at the house or something. Then he'd attack with his riding mower, which had been out in the rain for six months. These damn things aren't built right, he'd complain. I got to find one that works. No, you got to take care of the stuff that you have, okay? Anyway, Joe starts running for president in 1988. He's like 44 years old, and uh, why shouldn't he? Well, lots of reasons, and actually, his financial entanglements. His advisors were saying, Joe, you're kind of crazy right now. Back to the book. Um, as his older son, Bo, was getting ready for college, and Hunter, the second son, was just a year behind, and of course, Joe hasn't got cash. Whatever he gets, the house eats for breakfast. That house loves cash. So that's why Joe decided he had to have another house. This time it was 17 acres, a $1.1 million estate, an enormous main house with a sauna in the master bath, a swell apartment over the four-car garage, and the outdoor pool had a separate cabana that was itself like a nice suburban home. And then there was the tennis house with the other sauna and the indoor pool, and of course, the indoor tennis court, it was a compound. It was Hyannisport, like the Kennedys, the Kennedy compound. He could see the damn thing in Life magazine. He could just about lay out the photos right now, touch football on the grass, the house fuzzy in the background, him and his brothers, the boys, all wearing white, no, not white, blue jeans, and Bo running out for a pass, the Bidens' first family thing is, the Kennedys could afford all that stuff. The Bidens, not so much, but somehow they got it anyway. So Joe is serious about running for president in 1988. Uh, his advisors are really worried. They go up there in the first week of 1987 to tell him, Joe, if you want to run for president, you can't buy this new house. And also, what's up with you taking two weeks on vacation in Hawaii with some pollster? And what the hell are you trying to pull with this $1.1 million house? Look, Senator Ridley said earnestly, in the mind of a voter, there's no way you get from a senator's $75,000 a year salary to a million and a half dollar estate. Joe responds, 1.1 million. I said I could sell it for a million and a half. The advisor says, 1.1, 1.5, whatever you say, it doesn't matter. You can't run as a Democrat, a guy who's in touch with middle class values, when you're on TV in your indoor tennis court. How the hell do we explain it? You can't. You don't know what this is like. You can't explain to everybody. Things just come out. Everything comes out. And they sure have, haven't they? Right? I think they are continuing to come out. Let's see. They'd say, Joe, these real estate deals, these borrowed condos, the BS has to stop. If you're going to run for president, you have to stop. You have to give up everything. Give up your life. And it doesn't look like he's about to do that. However, through it all, through all these crazy real estate transactions, Joe insists that the one thing that about him that's irrevocable is his character, his basic honesty, his fabric as a man. These career politicians can tell themselves just about anything. And he is a career politician. Never forget. I mean, it's hard to forget, right? 1972, he becomes a U.S. senator. Who is around in 1972? J. Edgar Hoover 
was the director of the FBI. You know how flimsy the ethics situations was back then? LBJ was still alive. Career politician, he became a gazillionaire by holding public office. Watergate, uh, the reforms post-Watergate hadn't happened yet. I still believe that Joe is trapped in a 1972 mindset. And it shows this kind of scrutiny didn't happen before Watergate. And it's happening now. And it's making Joe and a lot of Democrats very, very uncomfortable. We'll be right back. You served your country. Now get the benefits you've earned. Paul R. Lawrence, the former Undersecretary of Benefits for the VA, reveals the secrets of getting what you deserve. Be approved for disability. Use valuable education credits. Buy a new home. Find a job. Even discover little-known benefits. It's all in the new Veterans Benefits for You at bookstores everywhere. Or see the free offer. Act today. So, the debate last week. You know, there was so much breaking news on so many fronts. Uh, we talked about the debate, but there are some colorful details we actually didn't get to because, well, a lot was going on. Did you notice Asa Hutchinson, uh, guy at the end, didn't get that much attention? But I noticed there's something really strange going on with his eye. Check it out. By attacking judges, by attacking prosecutors, by attacking the system and saying he's aggrieved. And so we have to have respect for our justice system. Eesh, this is going to give you nightmares. Look, I hope he's okay. Uh, if he were more of a contender, this would have been more of an issue. Look, anything can happen in politics. I think we should know what's going on with the eyeball. Is it just a hangover? Is it just a condition? Is it just, was he swimming with his eyes open? We need to know if he's serious about this. All right. Nikki Haley. What do we think about Nikki Haley? I see the establishment uh, is really enthusiastic about her. Personally, I found her, sorry, very, very cornball. Hold on. Hey, Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Deserves. Are you so bought Brad, and paid what for? What I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. I'm sorry, that's not just, that's just not cute. I, I think it's anti-man. It's, uh, what's the opposite of misogynist? Whatever that is, that was, okay? Uh, again, in the, it just wasn't that great. Very cornball, and that's what she thinks appeals. People came by the thousands for fresh starts. Moms and dads held their heads up high. Children learned that it was always it's a great day in South Carolina. It's a great day. It's a great day. A great day. A great day in South Carolina. Now, it's not a great day every day in any state in the country, right? Just, I don't know. I think we've all grown up. I think she thinks we're in fourth grade. One more. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. I feel like her campaign slogan should be, you go, girl. You know, it was like cool in 1993. You go, girl. The whole thing, to me, seems a little bit out of date. But, hey, look, she's running for president. People like her. Uh, you know who's no one's liking is Mayor Suarez. Is that his name? From, from Florida. Did you know this guy was actually running for president? I knew he was a dead duck. 
the day he declared with this commercial. So, uh, I don't know, full of himself. I'm going to run for president. I'm going to run for your children and mine. Let's give them the future they deserve. It's time to take things into our own hands. It's time to get things started. Yeah, he's not wearing a tie. He's wearing a T-shirt. And the whole commercial is about him and how fit he is. And I think he thinks he's quite handsome. I have always been a runner. It's the best place to charge my body and clear my mind. We lived right here in Miami. This is where my parents began their American dream. You see what I mean? This is my school. Who cares? Everybody has a school. The thing is, he sure thinks he's handsome, and I get it. You're trim. You're uh, five. You're six one and one seventy. Good for you. When I go running, uh, it doesn't clear my mind. It's agony. Anyway, uh, Mr. Suarez won't be seeing him anymore. All right. Ooh, Chris Christie. Even though he had a disastrous performance at that debate, the fake news can't get enough of him, and they keep inviting him on those uh, silly talk shows. We need to stand up against China in every corner of the world right now to send them a very clear message that, you know, if they try to get aggressive themselves, the juice is not going to be worth the squeeze. He says this a lot, the thing with the juice, the juice is not worth the squeeze. But sometimes the juice is worth the squeeze. Pretty big profile on his um, appetites, his luxurious appetites a few years back when he was governor. And he actually said this. The governor himself says he wants to squeeze all the juice out of the orange, basically meaning he wants all the perks that come with the job of being governor and some of the perks that don't come with the job of being governor. Look at this. The private plane on which Mr. Christie had his own bedroom had been lent by Sheldon Adelson, the billionaire casino owner and supporter of Israel. It's great that he supports Israel, but why does Chris Christie get his own bedroom on somebody else's plane? Mr. Christie loaded the plane with his wife, three of his four children, his mother-in-law, his father and stepmother, four staff members and his former law partner and a state trooper. Um, now, some people on the trip were nervous. A small, uh, a small knot of aides fretted the rooms in the luxurious Kempinski hotels uh, had cost about $30,000. What would happen if that became public? I wonder, would the juice still be worth the squeeze? I wonder if it is. All right, moving on. Joe Biden visited a school and touched a kid, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but post-COVID, post-Me Too, nobody's supposed to touch a stranger like this, all right? Touching the kid on the, uh, on the chin there. Anyway, you know, Joe is all into having age-inappropriate books in the school, you know, books with pornography. Joe falsely says that those of us who are concerned about that, you know, are these books appropriate for children that somehow we're banning books? Ever think we'd be talking about banning books in America? Banning history? I'm serious. Yeah. Joe, I mean, is he really this out to lunch? Can he be? Or is he this corrupt? Or is, is he, I don't know, but isn't he familiar with the concept of age-appropriate? How about age-appropriate movies, right? You didn't, uh, rated G, all right? That was a film that we could all see. You never hear about G-rated movies, right? And then when the content got a little bit more intense, PG, parental guidance suggested. And then more so, right? PG-13, uh, there's rated R, 
And then, of course, those X-rated movies, NC-17. We know how it's done. There's certain material that little kids can't handle, Joe Biden, like sex toys in books and overt sexual acts in books, like Lawn Boy and Queer Agenda. All those books are real. And uh, corrupt administrators pretend this is a free speech issue. It's not. They're trying to take our children down. And it's so baffling that this man can't even understand that. All right. I got to go to NASCAR for a second. Who likes NASCAR? I got to admit, uh, it's not my world. I, I, I just don't know it that well. But I do know that it's very popular. Kids love it. Adults love it. And some kids dream of being a NASCAR driver or in the pit crew. Isn't this a great opportunity? Check this out from NASCAR, a program providing our drivers and pit crew members with coaching, mentoring, development, bringing together championship caliber executives, competition staff, and equipment in a unique academy-style environment. I know all kinds of young people who would love this opportunity, but all kinds of people are not welcome, not all kinds. Uh, talented, young, up-and-coming minority and female drivers and pit crew athletes. Yeah, they're trying to ruin NASCAR, too. NASCAR going woke. Who's eligible for this program? Uh, will you get all that mentorship? Let's see. Be a female or a member of one of the following ethnic minority classifications. American Indian, Alaskan Native, Native Indigenous descent, Asian, Pacific Islander, Black or African American, Latino or Hispanic. Hey, what about people, right? What about people? People love these race cars. Not many, oh, by the way. It's a sect of society that's into this stuff. I mean, why are you being so choosy? Why are you being so discriminatory? Our entire culture, right down to the words in a newspaper article. You've seen this, right? It's not going away. Uh, white, the white gummin, lowercase w, black, black P, capital B. It's like... I hate white supremacy. I hate black supremacy, too. And I hate that internship program. Yikes, NASCAR. Come on. I'll be right back. All right. When I was a kid, I thought Disney World and Disneyland totally ruled. I actually liked Disney World more because they had those little yellow motorboats you could jump in even as a kid anyway um as you know disney has gone totally woke and weird and very very uh pride and sexuality oriented right there's gay day there's gay night there's pride night there's pride this there's trans that it's all i mean i'm sorry but childhood is supposed to be a time of innocence right it's harder and harder. We don't want that from Disneyland or Disney World. And we don't want Disney characters hanging around with this Altman person. Let's get dressed. Today, we're looking at the most iconic friend group, Disney's Mickey and Friends. And the character most like me is Minnie Mouse. And I have the most perfect dress to start the look. It even has little Mickeys on it. And I love how bold of a red it is. It's just like Minnie. I'm thinking of layering a fun collar like this one, just to give it a little more flair. All right, this is, uh, what's the word? Grooming and a little bit perverted. I mean, I'm sorry, that's an adult talking to children about this kind of stuff. I don't think it's appropriate. It's obviously wrong. People know it and it's showing. Disney is losing all kinds of moolah money. Disney stock drops to a nine-year low. And take a look at this. Uh, Disney's revenue dropped. Disney's market cap falls 56%. 
Look at where it was a year ago and look at where it is uh, now. That is pretty striking. huh? Uh, they've been punished and quite frankly, appropriately so. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, um, you know, he made it quite clear that he wasn't down with woke Disney. And apparently Disney World was getting all kinds of unfair tax breaks and all kinds of, I don't know, exceptions to the laws that everybody else followed. And he said, no, you're not getting that anymore. And quite frankly, I kind of like that. I don't like this guy, though, Bob Iger. Um, just a, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's an empty suit. And the other thing is, he really wants to be president of the United States. Yes, he does. He's a he's one of those bored billionaires, but never really took any risks and always goes with the flow, goes with the mob and is apparently OK with all this corruption of children. How dare Disney? Disney is bigger than this guy. You know what I mean? I mean, Disney kind of we all own it. Look at what they've done to it. A disgrace. But we'll get through it and I'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. I think this was the most memorable speech of the Republican 2020 convention. I think you do as well. Can you think of one other speech? Maybe the president's and hers. Kimberly Guilfoyle. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but she is an accomplished attorney. Yeah, she was a prosecuting attorney in San Francisco and L.A., an assistant district attorney in San Francisco. Hmm, what's the difference there? And a, a very accomplished television host and a confidant of the Trump family. Here she is, I believe, uh, yes, with the president of the United States. And on the right there is uh, her, uh, her beau, I think we say. Kimberly Guilfoyle, welcome back. You got to check out her show, The Kimberly Guilfoyle Show on Rumble. How are you, Kimberly? Doing very well, thank you. Great to be with you. So, um, obviously, this atrocity unfolds. Uh, you, the, you, your potential father in law under arrest. But you know what? It's turning up roses, potential. isn't it? <laughs> Future father in law, Jesus. Is it sealed? Do we have a date? Uh, not that I'm sharing on the air. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, I'm glad. I didn't realize there's a ring. Fantastic. That's but great news. We've been engaged, babe, for two years, but we'll take this breaking news alert. That's hysterical. Well, I mean, I, all right, look, we need, a, what's he waiting for? <laughs> we need more Trumps. <laughs> all right. So, um, what do you make of it? I mean, really, I thought it was the worst thing in the world, but it seems to be the best thing in the world. He keeps winning. It's like biblical, his comeback. It's unbelievable. It's better than 2016. It's better than uh, any greater movement and momentum than 2020. Uh, you see the Emerson poll, which is very credible, has him up five points nationally over sleepy Joe Biden, crooked Joe Biden, whatever you want to call him, um, you know, when including a third party candidate like West. And so what does that mean? It, it, not only is he holding the base, but he's growing the movement, which I think is very important because I'd love to see him get 15 million additional votes than he got last time around to really, you know, broaden this tent, bring in the independents, the libertarians, you know, all of the above, moderate Democrats, disaffected Democrats, because God knows uh, that movement has poisoned uh, so many of them. And you see just increasing, growing support. Just look at it across social media. 
from, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds, from African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, just really embracing this. So these people are just um, idiotic. They should be disqualified by the fact that they thought this was going to hurt Trump. And it's actually proved to be quite the opposite, which I think is fantastic. Um, the president is just gaining momentum. He's gaining support. And, you know, his resilience is um, unbeatable because he is unbreakable. And it's really true. You know him. I know him. He's my great friend for 18 years now. And I couldn't be more proud of him, the way that he's conducted himself. And then I, I keep getting all these compliments about his mugshot. It's like unbelievable, right? <laughs> so people are just, um, you know, they're fed up with what they see going on. And, you know, Joe Biden, he's no commander in chief. It is an abysmal disgrace the way he has treated the men and women that serve in this military. He should be disqualified from seeking office again because of what he did. You know, now we have two years later what he did with that uh, debacle in Afghanistan and the withdrawal there that should have never happened. Those are 13 lives that should have never been lost. Um, you know, so this is just something that I feel like everybody needs to take into consideration. What is the other side doing? They want to lie. They want to cheat. They want to steal. They want to disrespect you. They don't appreciate, um, you know, you as an American citizen. They will never put America first. It's America last. And the, the hell with everybody is really the attitude that they have that is so grotesquely arrogant uh, and dismissive. And, you know, it's just it's interesting to me because the mugshot was designed to embarrass Donald Trump. But it produced like an unbelievable different outcome where people are just motivated, exhilarated by it. It's something where they identify, they say, if they can do this to this man, the 45th president and God willing, the 47th president, they can come after every single one of us because the rules don't apply to them. It's the two-tier justice system. You've seen people take to social media about this. Um, but Donald Trump is going to keep, you know, fighting. And it's just, it's made him into you know, a real life uh, folk hero with substantial, you know, credentials. He's got a fantastic resume and he's really filled with resolve to continue to go forward on this. And I think you see that. So it doesn't matter what kind of dirty tricks they do one after the other. You know, this stupid D.C. judge who is openly doing the deep state's bidding wants him sitting in trial like right for Super Tuesday. I mean, how much more evidence do you need that screams election interference? Because that's what's going on here. Mark my words, if he was not seeking office again to be the 47th president of the United States, he would not have any of these indictments. Full stop. And you know that because it's corruption just staring you right in the face and sticking its tongue out at you, saying, screw you, screw your family. We don't answer to you. We're above everyone else. And that's why Donald Trump's courage is so inspiring to so many. So, look, he's got a lock on the nomination, it seems. I know he's got a lot on his plate. Do you think it would be wise, maybe you could be involved in planning the government? You know, I mean, I know last time he didn't really want to. He thought he'd be jinxing it, and I understand that. So the transition started after Election Day in 2016. But, you know, there's a year and a half to go, less than. Why not? Why not start thinking about the administration now? Or is that kind of forbidden? No, I mean, look, no one wants to jinx anything, but I don't believe in that. I believe in making your own path and, and you know, creating your own outcomes, your own, um, you know, future uh, through hard work and strength and not fear. Uh, we don't need to worry about that. We just need to focus. He's really been incredible with all the policy videos and 
points that he's put out. So you can go right there and check it all out. You see where he's at on all the issues. He's somebody who's ready for this job, which is what we need, as you know, on day one. This is not the time for training wheels. We cannot have an amateur in there, whether they're somebody who's eloquent or whether there's somebody who can't even form a sentence. Okay. So the placeholder in chief, not calling him the commander in chief, is just sitting there like a dirty, empty placemat until they figure out it's time to pull the ripcord on him and cackling Kamala, and they'll put in whoever it is they think is going to be best suited to go up against Trump. Right now, they're just praying. I have a lot of inside information that he can make it through this administration. And then right before, they'll say, thank you so much, and here you go with your cookies and milk. Please go retire someplace else and mm. stop this mess. And they'll put someone else in that they think can go against Trump. But I don't see anybody that's going to be able to stand up to the strength of the movement, the resilience of the man, his courage, his intellect, his ability, and his skill set. He's got a powerful, powerful record behind him. So we don't need to guess. This isn't about conjecture about what we think he's going to be capable to do. We know what he's going to be capable to do. And of course, we're paying very close attention to who is just going to be next level for 2.0 Trump when he gets reelected in 2024 to have the best and the smartest and strongest uh, administration going forward. Right. And I have absolute zero doubt that we're not going to have the best people because I already know a few. All right. Kimberly Guilfoyle, please check out the Kimberly Guilfoyle show. And her book while you're at it, Making the Case. There's some good stuff in there. And I just heard some some uh, from Kimberly right there. Create your own future. Be your own best advocate. Thank you, Kimberly. It's true. It's true. And it's time to reelect the America first fighter who will restore American prosperity. Trump, Trump 24. Love it. I'm on board. And we'll be right back. Thank you. So look at that, the Taliban back in control in Afghanistan. 20 years, the lives lost, the money spent, the war that we essentially lost because of that botched withdrawal. Remember the chaos? Remember all those people on the runway? This was so avoidable. And of course, the precious Marines we lost in that horrific explosion, 13 of them including Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. I believe he was 31 years old at the time. He grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, now, fortunately, the families, well, they're being heard. The families who lost uh, loved ones, people like Darren Hoover. He is the father of Taylor Hoover, and uh, he joins us now from the Capitol, capital of the United States. And, uh, sir, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a it's been a rough long day, but we're doing good. The House Foreign Affairs Committee had a special discussion featuring the families of the 13 fallen. Um, do you feel that you have been adequately heard? It seems to me like I love that Congress is listening to you. Do you feel like you've been adequately heard? As far as Congress is concerned, uh, we're well on our way, yes. Uh, Chairman McCall and his Foreign Affairs Committee have really reached out and gone the extra mile to do that. From the DOD, the State Department, uh, the administration, absolutely not. We haven't heard anything. What is it that you need to hear, sir, 
What are you looking for from the Department of Defense? I mean, we all know that this was avoidable, but what is it that you want done, or what, what do you want from them? I want the complete truth. I want the transparency. I want everything that they have. You know, at this point, I think the national security issues are over and done with. Uh, I want to know why the bomber was not taken out when they had three opportunities to do that. Both the uh, generals on the ground requested that the Taliban go in, which I don't for the life of me understand that one, but then we requested a drone strike from our own government and it was denied. And then it was denied that the snipers be able to take the shot in order to take out that individual that they'd been tracking for weeks, days, weeks leading up to that point. And I mean, the truth shouldn't be hard to get. It should not be hard to give to us as the families and to, frankly, to the veterans that have fought in this 20 year war, give them the peace of mind that theirs wasn't in vain. You spoke just a short while ago at this special hearing, and um, I'd like to show you a portion. I want to know why this current administration is enabled to take responsibility for their actions in the days, the weeks, and the months leading up to this fatal, fateful day. I say to you, Mr. President, you got 13 pictures that we have all named. You got 13 that you did not accomplish. I know he can't name one of them without a card sitting in front of him or a teleprompter sitting in front of him. I say to him, resign. Wow. Uh, very strong. And you know what? I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine him knowing one of the names. He always says, God protect our troops at the end of his speech. Have you ever noticed that? And I, it seems emptier than ever now. It does. It's very hollow. And, you know, to go back to a couple of his, his statements from Saturday, the anniversary, that we stand in mourning with the families. We support their families. How? What have you done? We haven't heard word one from any of them. Not a single word. What are they doing to honor our kids? Nothing. So we know that this country sometimes has really bad political leadership. We've seen it before. Uh, Vietnam comes to mind. Um, and it looks like we have that again. Um, when your son volunteered for the Marine Corps, I guess you, you, you kind of forget all that, or maybe it doesn't even occur to you. It didn't occur to me that one day, you know, there could be an incompetent commander in chief. Um, but I guess that's one of the risks in a weird way. It shouldn't be, but if you look over history, we have had incompetent people who have sent young men and women to die. Um, does that make any sense in that, like, you know, 
your son um, signed on the dotted line and gave everything. It doesn't seem to me like the country lived up to their end of the bargain here, but it was, it was an agreement. Forgive me, but does that make any sense? It does. It, it really does. Um, yeah, we knew going into it, he knew very well going into it, that it could very well be up to and including his life. But at the time, you know, the, he's been, he was in 11 years. And at the time, the political scene was, was messed up as it was. Um, but you expect their military leaders, the ones that they sign on the dotted line for, besides this country, but for their leaders to uphold them and support them and give them every last little bit of training that they can give to them and expect them to make the decisions. Well, listen to the boots on the ground, not the suits in the, in the offices. You know, it just, it's frustrating. You know, Taylor still joined up knowing that that was a possibility. And all the rest of the men and women that in our armed services that do that, I commend them and I thank them for that, knowing that it could take their life. I can't imagine what goes on in their minds, you know, in a, in a stressful situation, yeah. in a crappy situation like Afghanistan and Iraq has been. I, 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 can't, I can't put myself there, but I'm grateful to them. Mr. Hoover, um, I only have 30 seconds left. Is there anything we can do? Anything, can we write letters? Can we, you know, we're watching this thing unfold. What can folks do, if anything, to get answers or to help in any way? Absolutely, write letters to Congress, your senators. Call them on the phone. They have offices in DC and their satellite offices in their various uh, states. Absolutely, get out and say something. Continue to say our kids' names. Be grateful for what we have. Be grateful for the veterans that have gone on before. Some was whose lives they gave. Many who are left behind to deal with the ravages of war in their own minds. It's uh, great advice, actually. Write letters, get involved, speak up just like you're doing, uh, heroically, by the way. Darren Hoover, we thank you once again. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Be right back. You know, folks, I thank God for my wonderful wife, my kids, my country, the greatest nation ever. And Americans like you who believe in the truth, the Chris Salcedo Show will never stop fighting for you. The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know. All right, this big book I was telling you about, uh, what it takes. Uh, I got to be honest, I didn't read the whole thing. I got really bored in the Bob Dole section. The guy tries to psychoanalyze Bob Dole. But the part about Biden back in those days is, is fascinating, actually. And I can't believe Biden says this stuff out loud. See, what comes through in this book, Biden doesn't stand for anything, not any policy, not, he has no mission, no vision for the people. His vision is all about himself and what he can achieve, what, what's in it for him, literally. And um, we're all seeing that. 
I can't believe it. This is all, it's hiding in plain sight. You know what I mean? It's all in there. He's, uh, he's got a couple of problems up there. Anyway, many, many thanks. We're almost at Labor Day, the end of the summer. Anyway, excited for the fall. I hope you are, and I'll see you tomorrow night.